Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 369, Kickstarter Top 10 Wins. We like to thank all of our patrons for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back and we are back with our wins. We are finally talking about the top 10 wins for Anthony and I when it comes to Kickstarter. Not life, because that's a lot harder, but Kickstarter, that's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the stuff we like, the stuff we're happy we backed. You know, it's it's not yeah. all bad and it's not doom and gloom around here. There's a lot of games we enjoy that we are happy we paid money for. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody, but that's kind of true. And And for many of us, maybe you out there listening as well, Kickstarter has been kind of part of your life. So this you know, crowdfunding platform that has really transformed board gaming. I mean, I, I, I guess more and more these days, the latest and the greatest board games come out on Kickstarter. And really, that's what you need to follow if you want to kind of keep up to date with what's happening. Uh, I know GameFound is, you know, pumping up the action a little bit. And I know that there's going to be some challenges, especially with shipping and production these days. So this list is the top 10, although Anthony and I have backed a lot of games, which we still have not get gotten yet. So we might have future wins along the way and, you know, maybe some possible future losses. But, you know, you, you take the good with the bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to with Kickstarter, especially the way it runs. You never really know what you're paying for. Sure. So for this special episode, we'll be going through just our top 10s and our top 10s. Uh, but Anthony, before we get into our feature review, what's always most important is all our friends out there who are listening. So what's our question of the week? All right. Yeah. So question of the week, naturally, we ask people what their own biggest Kickstarter wins are. So uh, <laughs> lots of good answers here. People tell us which games are glad they backed. Uh, David mentions being one of the very first backers for Cascadia. It looked nice and I thought it would be a hit. And I was right. It's my favorite gateway game now. Um, I did not back Cascadia because it just it didn't jump out at me. So I, I understand David's pride there. Uh, Tim mentions Black Rose Wars and Mythic Battles Pantheon. Uh, both far from the usual preference for dry heavy euros. Lots of plastic combat, but both have meaningful decisions and tactics. And neither of them really come to retail. So games that he's glad that he picked up when he could. Uh, Kenny mentions Clans of Caledonia, um, which has been a consistent game of choice since the week it delivered back in 2017, or Unbroken, which it got really early in the fulfillment cycle, weeks, months, or even years <laughs> before some other backers. Um, it's a game that just infamously had issues. Uh, Daniel mentions Villagers, such a great game that nobody saw coming. Uh, they released a print-and-play version during the campaign, and he put it together and played with that print-and-play version dozens of times before the production copy came in. Uh, Roger mentions Path of Light and Shadow. Great game after our first play. Still not that well known, though. Favorite game in the collection. And uh, Amanda mentions Isafarian Guard. Backed it before the price increased significantly. So uh, they're, they're telling us it's going to be a huge hit. Watch this space. <laughs> so lots of good stuff. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's like first Kickstarters, Kickstarters that kind of you know, squeeze through the cracks for a lot of people, things that are not as big or well-known uh, everywhere. Uh, so I, I think I have a few of those on my list as well. Yeah, it's, it's great when you find those 
rare hidden gems on Kickstarter and they just blow you away. It's like, because you're taking a risk, you're taking an investment, and it's lovely when those investments play, pay off and pay off big when it comes to board games because you're like, hey, I discovered this or I got this to the table before anyone else you know, was able to. So when there's, when there's a win, it's typically a pretty big win. So I'm glad so many people had wins out there. All right, so that's what's going on with all of you out there. We are skipping our acquisition and are at the table because, again, this week it's all about Kickstarter and our top 10 wins. So, Anthony, talking about wins with Kickstarter, let's before we get into the list, Kickstarter, win or loss for you? What do you, what do you think? You, you have a long history with Kickstarter. On average? Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Uh, I, think win on, I think win on balance, but it's the balance has been shifting in the last couple of years. For sure, like the volume of good versus bad coming in. So, yeah, there's some really good games on this list that I'm really happy I backed. And there's a lot of games that just wouldn't exist without it. And I'm happy they exist. So I'm still going to say win. But the amount of money I've spent on stuff that I can't play, don't want to play, have never played. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Um, that does make it tough. It does. And again, it's it's an, an, a long-term investment in some cases because most times you're waiting at least a year, if sometimes not two years or more, to get a game, especially if it's a small designer that's trying to put out a passion project. So, yeah. Or currently now, where everyone's like, hey, you like this board game? And you're like, well, I've never played it before. They were like, how about buying literally everything that could ever be made for it? And you're like, uh, sounds expensive, but sure, why not? So, you know, <laughs> the, the wins and losses in those cases really come big. You know, when you start playing a game and you're like, I really like this a lot. And then you realize you you backed all of it and you never have to worry again. You could sleep at night. So, so say goodbye to that FOMO and that acquisition disorder. You feel safe and happy with the world. So, Anthony, again... We got our top 10s here, so do you want to start us off with your top 10? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so the first one on my list, number 10, is honestly, I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest, this is a game that has kind of fallen off for me in terms of how much I like it total uh, over the last few years, but it's still in my top 100. It's still a fantastic game, and that is Gloomhaven. Uh, this was originally up on Kickstarter in 2015, and I wasn't going to back it. I, it didn't really jump out at me. There was a lot of games, a lot of miniatures. I didn't even really look at it very much. But uh, Daniel uh, here on the show was all in on it. He was talking about it in the acquisition disorder. I was like, oh, that sounds really good. And then I did back it based on his recommendation from what he had read on the on the campaign page. And I'm really glad I did um, for a few reasons. One, it was only $79 with free shipping somehow. Crazy. <laughs> so, Crazy. Um, got the game for basically half the price. Uh, two, uh, it was very, very hard to get if you weren't in on that first Kickstarter. Like it sold out immediately mm -hmm. everywhere, whatever extras he had. There was 5,000 backers on the original Kickstarter. And obviously many, many more people wanted this game. Um, and three, throughout the journey of the campaign, Isaac communicated constantly. And most people know that now because they've backed his other games. But this was the first one I had and the first one for a lot of people. And so we get to see the game come together. Right. And again, this is the first Gloomhaven campaign, not the second one with the reprint that made millions of dollars. The first one was like $350,000. And so we have to see the development of the game, see the new things being added, see all the new content that he just kept loading into that box until it was so full it weighed 25 pounds. Um, 
So it was amazing. It was just really cool to be part of that. And so when it came in, I was super hyped. And then I was hearing how good it was. Um, never mind that it took like 18 months to actually finish and ship the game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was a fantastic experience. Just the campaign was fun. The game ended up being really fun. And then, of course, getting in there first and early and cheaper <laughs> than everybody else. Yeah, I think that's, I think for most people, I'm trying to think if there's any other game. I, I know we talked about some other really just amazing games that came out there that, you know, like, for example, Kingdom Death Monster, right? The the price of that game now and the, and the, the, the depth of it is just insane. But Gloomhaven at that early price, considering what they're looking at now, and even Frosthaven, right? They've raised the price when it's going to hit retail market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the new retail price on Frosthaven. Basically, the same thing happened with that game. It's going to be 250 at yeah. retail. And if you backed it on Kickstarter, Crazy. I think it was like 150 So you again, saving nice. about half. Gotcha. All right. Well, my ni- my number 10 game is Clash of Deck, a real free-to-play card game. Now, I've talked about this before. This was a really weird Kickstarter, I guess, campaign that was all about this two-player card game. And basically, it was this one-card deck, and you basically draft the cards, and then you you kind of build this little you know bridge basically the bridge is just one card on each side and then you play down your monsters on either side and there's a couple spells and they fight and then whoever takes the most life points you know eventually they get knocked out and then you know last man standing wins so like oh that's another one of these generic you know quasi magic the gathering kind of games and we've seen thousands of these before and i literally have no interest in this whatsoever because again there's literally thousands of these out there and how could this one be good? And you expect me to back this on Kickstarter? Oh, wait, it's free. So not only is it free, but I think the shipping was only like $2. So I was like, all right, this seems crazy. This seems like a, an incredible waste of money. It's going to be a risk. But they had over 20,000 backers. And I'm like, for 2 bucks, I'm willing to try it out. They had a really smart marketing campaign that they wanted people to play the game, put the game in their hands. And then they figured once you got a chance to play it, and there was a print and play. And, and to be honest, I don't print print and plays. I know a lot of games offer it. I really appreciate that. I'm not doing it. But here, they had that situation where they were offering an opportunity to play the game, the base game, without having to go all in. I backed it. I got it. It was legit. I played it. The game's good. And because of which, I backed their follow-up campaign, which was the full game. I would have not backed the full campaign if not for this free game campaign. In fact, to be honest with you, the game is good. It's nothing like revolutionary or blow you away kind of thing. But I felt that the first campaign was so well done and so trusting of the, you know, the audience out there and supportive of, you know, everybody who, you know, donated or gave money in for this free game. I felt like they deserved my backing for the future campaign. So Clash of Decks, a real free to play card game. For no dollars and a two dollars shipping, more or less, yeah, that would that was my top ten win. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with that one. Um, uh, for me, number nine. Moving on to uh, number nine, we got Hostage Negotiator. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is a game that I played early. Uh, it was before it was on Kickstarter the first time for sure. I played it at Gen Con with the designer Ager Porfirio, who is you know now runs Van Ryder Games, um, and. I, I would have missed it completely, right? This was even before I was really big on the solo gaming. Um, 
before that podcast even started table for one later every night it's game night and i wasn't you know the, the this particular kickstarter didn't do a lot of money right i think it had like 1200 backers and people were interested but not like over the moon about it um mm-hmm. and so i would have missed it completely i wouldn't have seen it i wouldn't have known it was there i would not have had a chance to play it or d- done anything with it um but because i met AJ and because I got a chance to play it at Gen Con and because I won somehow magically the first time I played it, which doesn't happen. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to check this out. And then it ended up being like one of my most played solo games for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I did fall sure. off of it eventually, like with the career stuff and all the extra expansions and everything else. Um, back into the, the system a little bit lately with Final Girl. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of moved on from that type of game in general. But at the time, it was a spectacular like it, it felt like finding a diamond in the rough and it just got lucky. And the reason why is because of this podcast <laughs> and because of that kind of access mm-hmm. that we had. Um, and so that was a lot of fun for me. So hostage negotiator. Nice. My number nine is obsession, pride, intrigue, and prejudice in Victorian England. This was a game that Anthony and I had an opportunity to play way back when at PAX Unplugged. I don't know if it was the first PAX Unplugged. I think it might've been, right? Was it the first or the second one? Do you remember by chance? Uh, I don't remember. I might have been the second one. Yeah. Th- yeah. So I, I went around and I, I I wisely spoke to the different game teachers. I was like, what game here do you really think is like outstanding? And this, and I think Obsession and Smartphone were at the same convention at the same time. And both games were not getting any play, mostly because there was no one teaching them. But it was, again, it was a game that didn't have a pedigree. It was a first time designer and this game was, you know, very much Downton Abbey, so to speak. And mm-hmm. to be honest, not particularly a fan of, of that kind of Victorian style and things like that. So I'm not against it, but I would never think, hey, I want to play a game about these very snooty rich people and how their really snooty kind of society is all predicated on like wealth and, you know, prestige and family ancestry and just random randomness. So I was like, why would I do that? And he pointed this game out, smartphone out. And I was like, I was intrigued. And I looked at the game. I was like, okay, so you got some drafting. You got some deck building. You got some tile placement, some activation. And I, you know, sat down, quickly learned the game and just fell in love with the game. And it was up on Kickstarter, I think, or had been up on Kickstarter. And I reached out to the designer. I'm like, hey, really love the game. Want to back this game. And honestly, it was kind of ridiculous cheap. It was like $44 for the base game. And considering everything that came in the game, the artwork, the tiles, the cards, everything, the the, the little meeples that were the different uh, staff that went along there, it was a, it was an incredible, incredible um, opportunity. So I backed it, got it, played it, loved it, continued to play it. They came out with a second expansion, bought that too. Uh, the designer has been incredibly connected with the community throughout he's he's been he's been amazing dan uh, halligan he's always given updates even when the second campaign came out and there was a couple of components that he did not like he's sent those you know replacements out for free of course i keep forgetting to ask for those but you know he created two two games i guess the base game and the expansion version of the game the updated version of it and they're both fantastic and it was a win because again this is the kind of thing that kickstarter was always supposed to be about helping a first-time designer get their stuff out there in the field he did kickstarter did it i got the game 
great price, great game, discovery, love it. Just, it's amazing. All right, number eight for me is Lisboa. This is I've heard of this game. The, yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a little bit. Um, this was not the first time I had played a Vitalis Arda game. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we re- got review copies of uh, Vinos and the Gallerist, and then I immediately fell in love with the Gallerist. But it was the first time I backed one on Kickstarter. And so at the time, it was like, man, this is a lot of money, <laughs> right? Because, you know, there weren't a lot of $100 board games. Um, it wasn't even quite a hundred dollars. I think it was 89. So this shows you where the prices were at back in 2016. But, uh, you know, it was my first time backing something of this size and this complexity and, and all that stuff. And one of the Eagle Griffin big boxes. And so it was, it was fun to see all the stuff that went in there and kind of be in on this game early. And it was before like Lacerda was an automatic back for me. So I was just like, I don't know. The game was a little funky, it's big. It's really complicated. It's hard to wrap my head around just from like the videos I'm watching. But you know what? 90 bucks. I'm all in. Let's do it. Um, and so I got got the game for a decent price. Got, you know, the little my first of my little uh, signed stickers <laughs> that come with uh, the games if you back them on Kickstarter. And it was just really cool to be part of that conversation and see the game as it developed and get the game early and then find out, oh my gosh, this thing is amazing. And now it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, the only downside is because I, I got it for cheaper, but because I got it for cheaper earlier, I didn't have my copy with me when we met Vital Lacerda to sign, <laughs> um, which would have been cool. But uh, yeah. other than that, just a fantastic game and a really good one to kind of kick it off, backing his stuff on Kickstarter. Nice. Yeah, I got my copy signed. But, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I had it. But to be fair, I had to pay more because I didn't back it on yeah. Kickstarter. So that was the downside of that. So, yeah. So the good side of the downside of, of those things. My number eight game is, well, it's it's kind of a win because I did not back it. Uh, that's Scott Pilgrim Miniatures The World uh, relaunch. Mm. This was originally came out and it was it really kind of had everything in that initial kind of game and that did not work and they were like hey um we made all the kind of mistakes this is renegade studios and they re-released it and i'm a really big scott pilgrim fan i've i've had the graphic novels forever the movie is one of my you know favorite cult films of all time and i was down for backing this like you know they offered uh you know, pledge level where you can even get the miniatures painted. So this was just perfect. There was nothing bad about this game whatsoever. It was going to cost over $200. That's where the bad stuff comes in. So then you kind of like, you weigh like how much do you love an IP, you know, versus how much money is this thing going to be? And really the tiebreaker happens to be, or typically should be, at least when it comes to a board game, is is the gameplay, you know, worth your time or effort? Or is this just going to be on your shelf? I mean, you really have to have like the most amazing miniatures of all time in order to justify this. And let's be honest, like these days more than ever, like everyone's making miniatures. Like you get a fungo of everything these days. So I did not back this, was really kind of broken hard about it because I really did want to back it and was not sure about the gameplay. Turns out the gameplay, not great. Like really <laughs> not great. And I think you could pick this up for like a third of the price almost everywhere now. So I still haven't picked it up, but maybe at some point, some place, somewhere, sometime, I might actually do that. But 
I escaped the ridiculous amount of cost and can now pick it up at a reasonable price. And again, being that the game is not that great means that it's just going to be a lot of like really cool things to have on the shelf. Yeah, those are always nice when you're like, oof, dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right. Uh, so for me, number seven, moving on, is the Merlin and Pioneers Kickstarter from Queen Games uh, back in 2017. Mm-hmm. This was I, a lot of reasons to be skeptical about this Kickstarter, right? This was them coming out and saying, hey, we've got this Stefan Feld game that uh, we're not going to sell anywhere else. It's exclusively through Kickstarter. And then this other game, Pioneers, which actually turned out to be pretty good, too. And A, exclusively through Kickstarter, you're like, sure, right? Everybody says that and it doesn't actually work. But B, this was coming off of Queen Games selling all of their games for like $10 on Amazon. (laughs) So it was really difficult to go in and be like, all right, I guess I'll spend $60 on this game that you're saying you're not going to do that with, but you keep doing with everything. (laughs) Um, So I like I was very hesitant and still was hesitant until the game was actually shipped and in hand. And like a lot of people didn't go in on this. I think they only had a thousand backers. Um, Mm -hmm because of the weird price structure and like the MSRPs that they assigned. And I'm like, how does the game even have an MSRP if you're not selling it anywhere else? You just put some crazy right. high number on there. I mean, like you're saving money off of this imaginary number we made up. Um, but, but I got the game. It was very good. <laughs> and they did do that. You couldn't got it, get it anywhere else. And then down the line, mm-hmm. they had multiple other Kickstarters for expansions, um, mm-hmm. the big box, everything else. In the end, I think I ended up spending fair amount of money on Merlin. Um, but <laughs> I like wow. Merlin. So uh, it's, it's one of the reasons like the experience was good. The quality of the game was good. The shipping and everything, you know, all of that worked out well. So I, I gave them the benefit of the doubt on the, the last couple of Stefan Feld Kickstarters until, you know, prices went through the roof and games got delayed a year sure. and prices even further through the roof. Um, but yeah, this was a good one. Uh, and again, uh, bearing not bearing the lead, but kind of putting it under the rug a little bit. Pioneers is actually a very good game as well that came with this if you back them together. Um, and it was a fairly decent deal if you got them together. Not, a, I wouldn't say a deal, but cheaper, <laughs> a reasonable price. It's like 45 a piece. Um, and I was happy to do so because the game ended up being good. Although, you know, that was back in peak acquisition disorder for me and I just threw it in there. So anyways, yeah, Merlin, Pioneers, good stuff. Uh, happy that I did in the long run. Ironically, and I did not look at this this list initially, um, you know, the, the difficulty of Kickstarter is always trying to figure out what is something worthy of backing. My number seven is actually a Queen's game. Uh, oh, really? there's, a lot to, there's, a, there's a lot of choices here. Um, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to go with Coco Pelli. Uh, Mm. This was one of those campaigns, and there has been a lot of campaigns that I've literally followed down to like down to the minute to the second, like my finger on the, you know, the back button. And this was a Stefan Feld game. So when they came out with this, I'm like, Stefan Feld, really cool theme. I need to back this. And at that time, I think I was backing everything Stefan Feld that was coming in. So why, why wouldn't I be backing this? This was about 55 euro. So it was kind of expensive as far as that was concerned, plus shipping and everything else. And Queen Games was kind of known for their, as Anthony said, like their campaigns that comes with like 
literally everything in the box and it's overcharged and then turns out like five minutes later it's like a half or a third or a quarter of the the price and you know it was it was look you do what you got to do it's a product i get it but nonetheless this was a campaign that i did not back it's not it's a win for me because i did not back it uh it was very hard not to back it because again stefan feld um queen games weird history kind of like you know made me you know think twice on this and it, there was just something about the game that really just set me back a little bit. And I really wasn't too sure. Again, you know, when, when Queen Games comes out with these games, they don't do the kind of like extensive gameplay walkthrough that some of the other companies do. Like they get their one or two big people to kind of review it. But honestly, especially if it's a paid preview or it's a preview just in general, like I can't go along with that. I'm sorry. Like I need, I need to have like a community give me an idea that are not paid. So I did not back this. Uh, turns out, from what I hear, I still have not played it, so I could be wrong. Not a great game, and nope. for the cost and the shipping, and you know, and again, you know, avoiding a Feld, avoiding a Queen game, really weird. But yes, I, I, I avoided it, did not back it, and therefore it's a win for me. Yeah, yeah, I backed it uh, because again, no, no self control, and uh, I regret it. The game's not great, so, uh, and it's a slapped on theme that is again appropriating from another culture for no reason um, yes so fun fun yeah. money that i spent there <laughs> all right um, what's up next all right number six for me is the tokyo series uh the jito hanbaiki metro and jutaku from uh jordan draper games uh this was kind of on a lark like this was a, a, a game that backed oh i don't remember when this campaign was 2017 maybe um and it was three games together and it was kind of presented as like oh look at all this cool stuff don't you know all this cool stuff from this person that you know and i'm like i don't know who this is i don't know jordan <laughs> draper i don't know what games he's made i don't know why i should care um so it, it like it didn't really there was there's was nothing coming in that made me want to see this um, it turns mm-hmm. out that the the games that he produced earlier, which you talk about import export, which, you know, decently well known, but I had never played. Um, but it was cute little boxes. Cool. Like, like one was like a spatial puzzle. One was like a train game. And the other one had like little plastic bottles um, that you moved around in, in like a market. And I was like, this is cute. This is fun. And so I backed it um, for a pretty penny because I backed it for all three games. And they're like, oh, you get the metal money and you get these things real tightly packed in these boxes. And uh, it turns out that all three of these games were very good. So Tokyo Metro in particular is fantastic. It's just an amazing game that for some reason, probably because I backed too many things, I didn't play for a long time when it finally came in. I only played it a couple of years ago. And when I finally did, I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? Why did I not play this earlier? Um Jutaku eventually got remade as like a larger plastic type version. Um, I forgot. It's like Mega Ocean or Mega City something. And that game is also very good. But Tokyo Metro is definitely the the crown jewel of this trio. Um, there was another trio that was on Kickstarter a couple years later. Uh, and, and those ones also very good. So, you know, just all around. I'm, I'm glad I found this Tokyo series. For me, it was not something high on my radar. And now I do pay close attention. So I've, I've backed the the follow-up campaign with um, Tsukiji Market, which is fantastic. And then there was expansions for both Tsukiji Market and Tokyo Metro. And this is just like the kind of cool stuff I like finding on Kickstarter. You know, this wasn't like a hidden gem. This didn't not make any money or anything, but 
it's not a game that would exist otherwise. It doesn't sell anywhere else. It's just on their website. It wouldn't have existed this way. It would certainly wouldn't have existed in the format that it does with the metal coins and the cloth mats. So I'm just really glad that it does exist. <laughs> and I found it on Kickstarter. <laughs> and now I can back additional games when they come out. So uh, Tokyo series for me. Nice. All right. Well, a game that I kind of somewhat owned for a minute and then turned out there was a giant Kickstarter for this. This is my number six. This is Kemet Blood and Sand. This is the, I guess, reprint, revision, essential edition of Kemet. So we've talked about Kemet a lot and I've played Kemet and I've played its expansions over the years and I've enjoyed it. It's one of those very few games that accomplishes thematically what it's intending to do. So if you ever played a game with troops on a map, you know that there's a lot of different ways to play, but oftentimes a lot of different ways to play. It goes directly against what troops on a map is supposed to be, which is means, you know, you're supposed to fight each other. Kemet always accomplished this task quite easily by making a very small board and also by, you know, forcing conflict in order to score victory points for victory. So Kemet really always had done things well. And I think almost initially or right after their, you know, their, you know, their first release went out of print, they had multiple expansions. The expansions were good and bad and somewhat cumbersome in some ways. And there were some rules that I think that Kemet, 1.5, you know, kind of version of it. So there was a lot of attempts to fix Kemet, the small minor issues that it had. There was nothing, anything too major, but there were certainly issues with it. I really do love and enjoy anytime a company really just owns up to the fact of like, hey, there was just some obtuseness to the game. We did too much or we went too far in too many places and we really want to pull it back and give you an essential addition. Um, Stonemaier Games did this, obviously, with Viticulture, so Kemet comes along, and they blow it out, right? It's not just a refined version, but it's also a better version. You have new monsters, mm. new tiles, new graphic design. They address some of the gameplay issues. Uh, I mean, they came with these new tile displays, which, again, was really essential, because if you've ever played this game on the table, it takes up, like, several tables, but now having the tiles in these trays means you could pass them around and they won't have to take up like, you know, game table space that's going to get in the way. A lot of cool creatures, a lot of updates. Uh, at some point, they thought it was a good do- idea to add Cthulhu in as part of the Book of the Dead. Uh, people lost it for, for some reason. I don't understand why, but I kind of get it. It wasn't thematic, but I don't know. People like Cthulhu. And the game, you know, the creators here were like, you know what, we're just going to give it to you as part of the package, or you could pick it up separately at a smaller price, and we're going to put in something more thematically related. So again, even even the designers and the publishers here were open to that kind of critique and made adjustments to go along with it. There's a brand new board, there's just, there's so much new content, and none of the content seems just like thrown on there for more money or just like adds too much to the game to the point of being sick of all that extra content and then eventually you only play with the base game. Everything here is purposeful. Everything here is streamlined. Everything here is better. The graphic design, the the art in the game, the board, as I mentioned before, the way to play. I mean, like everything was really well thought out here. And it was just such an impressive production. And in fact, an impressive price. This was $69 euro and... Everything you got in this campaign, considering, I mean, you got more than that. You got much more. 
and I was just really thrilled to back this, got it to the table, really enjoyed it. It was still Kemet, but it was better. And the elements of the game really kind of played into, it just felt like a better version of Kemet. And I was just so excited to play it, to pick it up. Great, great game. I mean, this is also, if it's not about backing the small independent game designer, I know most, if not all of our game companies that we deal with and love are small independents, but if it's not developing something from like a passion individual product, this is probably the next best thing where it's like, hey, we know that there's a certain segment of our audience out there that wants a definitive edition with really great pieces, but not overblown to make money. Here it is. Thank you, guys. Uh, Matico did a great job with Kemet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the Kemet second edition, the Blood and Sand, which is fantastic. Um, number five for me is also a second edition. It is Pax Pamir, the reprint that Cole Worley uh-huh. did um, two, uh, about two, three years ago uh, with his own company, Worley Gig. So uh, I didn't know anything about this game. I had not played first edition. I had not actually played any of the Pax games, but I knew Root and I liked Root and therefore I backed this kind of sight unseen. <laughs> I didn't really, again, I, this sure. is a, a problem I've had in the past. So <laughs> I'm back in this thing. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, well. Um, this one, however, <laughs> not terrible. So, uh, it is a significant, significant improvement over the original edition of the game. Um, we've got this nice cloth mat, this beautiful artwork on these cards, more expanded, uh, components, uh, beautiful, uh, just presentation in general, um, improvements to the rules, clarification on key elements of the rules, clarification on key elements of the historical context. Like everything about the game is better. And it creates this really unique, really engaging experience that's unlike really anything else I've ever played. Um, and so the first time I played it, I was like, whoa, I backed that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I'm really glad I did that. Um, so, yeah, PAX Premier Second Edition for me, definitely up there. Um, a lot of people were in on it. And, it, it, you know, obviously I wasn't the only one to figure this out. But I'm really glad I did back it. And I'm really glad I, I got the chance to... Uh, um, get it to the table early and, and you know recognize that it was such a, a good experience. It was really hard to find for a long time after that. So people would play it and they're like, oh, I want this. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, until they ran the reprint campaign um, a, a few months later. So there you go. Cole Worley, uh, high on my list now after this one. I think, it's, I think it's such a big win for two reasons. One, if you read the description of the game or look at the game components, you're like, really? I want to back this. This is, it's such a small (laughs) game and it's such a theme that's really interesting, but very unique and very uh, obscure and and like, I guess, American consciousness. So just by that, I think that's you backing this still acts as a win. And then when you actually play the game and and really experience the components in the gameplay, it's, it's really a discovery. It's really a win. It's a victory across the board. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't back this. This is great. All right, now talking about another uh, big win as far as the game's concerned, my number five here, Villagers, card drafting and village building for one to five players. Uh, Villagers is another game that's really interesting. It's it's kind of attractive to look at the table. It has this very small box, and considering Kickstarter is all about the big boxes, right? If you look at a Queen Games game, it's always about how massively big can we make everything in the game so that you pay us all the monies, and then Sinister Fish Games came along and was like, how small can we make a game that you're going to love and back it? 
and we're going to give you an amazing price for it. So Villagers um, really comes down to a game of supply chain management. It's primarily just a gigantic deck of cards and, you know, um, really cool kind of <laughs> like, I, I guess, like wood money, you know, kind of that you can kind of play into the game. You can use the cardboard money is also very good in the game. So basically you are building up this village and it just is such a good game. I mean, there's so many games that you back and you're like, oh, this is a good game. I, I'm glad I backed this. And Villagers was one of those games that I backed it. I got it to the table. Everyone played it. And then we played it like three or four more times. And I was just amazed because that never really happens with a game. Like it had depth. It had different, you know, pathways to victory. The box itself was fantastic. It fit everything in. It had dividers in it. It had expansion in it. It had a solo play version in it. I mean, it really had everything. When they they came out with the expansion, of course, I backed the expansion. And it certainly led me to back Streets, which was their more recent game. And I think Moon, they just announced, is their next game, which I'm incredibly excited about. And it really comes all the way down to Villagers. Again, a, a great campaign, a great game, a great company. And really inexpensive, right? It was $22 euros, which is is kind of crazy. This is an incredibly cheap game. Uh, if you haven't played it, even if you didn't back it, you could still pick it up. It's still a great value. Uh, Villagers. Yeah, Villagers is fantastic. I'm really glad I backed this as well. Um, all right. So for me, number four is I'm looking at the campaign now, and it's kind of a it's such a throwback because it was like the second or third campaign I ever backed. Uh, Baseball Highlights 2045 from Mike Fitzgerald and at the time Griffin and Eagle Games. Um, this was back in the day. And I think this was 2013. I backed this. This was at a time when a campaign could go up and back for $17,867 <laughs> and be considered oh a God. success. Like their threshold was below that. They're happy with that. And then they printed it and then they shipped it. And it was everything that they promised. Um, and, and the game, which, and at the time, like this was a company that was in on Kickstarter very early. They ran stuff like going back to like 2011, 2012. And, a lot of those made very little money. They all had like two or 300 backers. They were not necessarily big. And this was one of those that, you know, I, I just thought the theme was cool and I backed it and then I got it and then I played it and I was like, wait, this is fantastic. This is a lot of fun. Um, and so then I got all in, you know, the expansions and like the little packs you could get. And then a few years later, we have football highlights, which I also backed very happy to have backed. Uh, and it was just kind of on a lark early on in my, collecting career when Kickstarter was more of a novelty than an actual place to get good games. Uh, and again, very few people back this and I'm surprised it even made it to market at, at that level. Um, but it's a fantastic, clever, just a really interesting, probably one of the best takes on baseball in tabletop games, other than like heavy simulations, um, like Stratomatic or something. And it's still on my collection. Like a lot of those games early on are not. This one still is. So uh, I still remember sitting down and playing it at Dexcon, like the, the summer that it came in. Um, and uh, yeah, great experience all around. And just like a weird one to look back and just still, you know, it puts a smile on my face that I backed it when I did. Nice. Yeah, I've, I'm sorry I missed this because every once in a while I see some of, some of the, you know, the expansions on sale. And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to go down that road because it's such a good game, but unless you back the Kickstarter, I feel like you're missing out on some really great content and it tells a story 
and I think that's so much fun. That's so much fun. I'm sorry. I, sorry I missed that one out. Um, a campaign that I backed, my number four, was something that I didn't know about or even think about at the time. That was Carson City Big Box Edition. This was a campaign that I was basically talked into by a friend of ours. I think that was Chris back in the day. And he was into like really heavy euros. And, and just by chance, I have I did not play this one at the time. And I'm just like, dude, really? It's like 75 euros. You want me to back this super big edition of this board game? And I don't know. I have never played this before. And I backed it because, you know, peer pressure eventually works, especially when it, <laughs> it comes to board games. And it looked really beautiful, and it got really good reviews. This was back in the day where reviews were reviews on on Kickstarter. And it came with everything. It came in a beautiful new box. It came with the base game, and two expansions came along with it. The production was top-notch. The artwork was top-notch. It's certainly one of those games that never, ever, ever gets enough gameplay to it. Like, I don't care what type of gamer you are. Like, you have not played enough Carson City. Like, it's just such a good game. It, it really combines so many great aspects to in gaming in one place. Like, you do get the Euro elements for sure. You do get the, you know, aggressive attacking other players, like in Ameritrash games. You do get some of the story building with the, with the, di- the different uh, character cards that come into play. And then you get that, I wouldn't say it's, you know, necessarily like, it's a tile lane game where you where you put these different buildings out there. So like there's a market, your buildings grow with you. So again, it, it just does so many things right that that board gaming today takes for granted that, you know, Carson City put together all in one package. It's a fantastic game. And again, uh, at the time seemed like a crazy price, but I'm so glad I backed it. And I have like this essential edition with all the best components to it. Yeah, it's another one of those games. I, I actually have never fully played this one, but every time I see it laid out, especially the fancy version, I'm like, man, I gotta get this. I, I just, it's. One I of told those... you, yeah, it's definitely one of those games that just flies beneath the radar because it's honestly, I don't know if there's a good comparison to it. Like, it's almost like it's not one of the original original games, but it it is a game that goes back quite some time. It's like the, I don't know, it's like one of those classic movies that like you've seen it in other places right? right but um it does all the things right it does so many things right and it, and it doesn't miss a beat it doesn't feel old whatsoever so awesome uh, all right number three for me is a relatively recent one this campaign was uh ran in 2019 i think and then shipped like two months before the pandemic um great timing <laughs> and that's clinic deluxe edition um album vr kind of jumped up in my game games that I would always pick up from a designer list because of tramways specifically uh, is like the big one. Um, but a lot of his other games too are really good. And clinic was one that I just couldn't find a copy of. Like the old version of it was very hard to find. And if you did find a copy, it was kind of ugly because you know, those older games didn't have a lot of attention or detail to them. They didn't print a lot of copies. So the deluxe edition, they, they come up, they're like, Oh, we're doing a definitive edition. Like the first like definitive edition of an album VR game. Um, we got Eno Tool artwork. We have 472 expansion modules, <laughs> like, and more down the way. And it was just like a fantastic opportunity to get in on this game. And the resulting production was just really, really nice, right? And this was not. This is definitely not an example of like I saved some money because this was expensive. It was like a hundred bucks for the the game plus expansion. But the 
the quality of the game, especially when I compare it to like the other games of his that I have, like my old version of Small City or my busted up copy of Tramways, it's falling apart at the seams with all the expansion stuff. It's it's just it's really, really nice. Um, and so many different variable ways to play and so much content. It's gotten a lot of support post release now with like, I think we're up to five expansions plus the COVID thing. So it's just a really solid game that I get to add in my collection. And I'm really happy that I was in on it early because it was really hard to find this game after that initial Kickstarter allotment sold through um, just just now, like last month, Capstone picked it up and made it available here in North America. And you can actually buy this stuff finally. Um, so it's it just having a chance to sit and play with that for a couple of years and just the timing of when it came out, not great. Didn't get to play it as much as I would have liked, but um, very good solo game. So it has it has a lot of time at the table still. So um, Alvin VR games in general are fantastic. This is the nicest looking and most expansive, I think, of them that I own. And I'm really, really excited about the small city deluxe edition that's coming soon because of this one. So that was a that was a big one for me. Nice. All right. Well, my next game was a game that I passed up first time when it was on Kickstarter. My number three is Dinosaur Island Back from Extinction. I remember when I saw the first campaign and it was just so much neon 1980s that I was just like, nope, I'm not doing that. And I got a chance to play it. And I was like, damn it. This is like one of the better games I've ever played. And it plays so incredibly well. And it's so smart that I'm never going to be able to buy this game at any kind of reasonable price. And it was, once it came out in retail, was completely unreasonable. Because again, it, it, it was this idea of Jurassic Park. And it had dinosaurs in it, like plastic dinosaurs. And it had like really high quality components, like unnecessarily high quality components, not in a bad way, but like pushing the edge kind of thing. And like that 80s, like that late 80s, early 90s kind of excess. So when this campaign came out, I was incredibly thrilled because the game itself, what it really does best amongst so many other things is it's laid out in such a way that you could honestly, I think this is one of the very few games that you could sit down at a table with new gamers for the very first time and go, all right, let's play the game. Like, no explanation. Like, because each step of the way, all the information's open, the boards follow you through first, second, third, fourth kind of steps. It makes thematic sense throughout. But the campaign came with such incredible amounts of stuff. Now, to be fair, the all-in pledge for the base game and the expansions and all the other stuff, the the two-player Dualsaurus, which again was another just tremendous success. The Dualsaurus, the two-player version of this, is a great game. Like, in in fact, it might be one of, if not my favorite two-player games of all time. I I love Dualsaurus. So, again, all the extra stuff that came along with this game, all of the outrageous components, including a snap bracelet, if you don't know what that means, you are not my age, so that's fine. <laughs> but a snap bracelet for for uh, the first player. All the miniature dinosaurs, they gave us an excessive amount. It's fantastic. And then with the Totally Liquid expansion, you got all of the different marine dinosaurs that came along with the game. So that was a lot of fun because for me personally, like those are my favorite dinosaurs. Like these just amazingly just gigantic sea creatures come to life and you got to play with all of them it comes with an incredible number of expansions uh you know the great thing also about dinosaur island is it lets you play a short medium or long game 
So you could play a quick game with, you know, gamers who are not really gamers gamers. But if you are going to play with all the stuff, you need to play the long version of the game. Otherwise, the game gets a little wonky. That being said, all the high-quality components, everything came in the game. I have no idea what what it costs on retail market. But just the fact that I got everything I wanted with the game, everything was high quality, and the game itself was fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, again, can't complain. So happy I backed it. Would never think twice about selling it. I was like, this is my game. This is just my thing. Uh, Dice Island, back from extinction. Yeah, yeah, I backed this one as well for the same reason. Like, it, it's such a good value, but just like it, it's just a great game to have on the, on the shelf. So definitely can agree yeah. with that one. Uh, for me, number two is, in my opinion, one of the best kickstarted games ever, uh, and it's my number two game of all time. So it's just the fact that it exists is amazing. But the quality of it, the way the campaign is run, the follow up campaigns they've done are all just amazing. And that is Root, a game of woodland might and right uh, from Leader Games. So I, I mentioned last week the one of my least my losses, my number three loss was Vast, the Crystal Cavern, second edition. And one of the reasons that was a big loss for me is that it was so disappointing that I then avoided backing Root when it was first on Kickstarter. So this is a game I actually did not back right away, unfortunately. Um, there are no Kickstarter exclusives. They never do that. But there was, you got the expansion for free if you backed the core box. It was like $60, got you the core and the Riverfolk expansion, uh, which is a $30 value, which is pretty cool. Um I later picked these up at Gen Con because we were there and it sold out within like six hours. So I'm glad that I did because <laughs> the game like blew up. Um, but so I didn't really feel like I missed out other than like that 30 bucks, the extra 30 bucks I spent. But the campaign I followed very closely anyways, because it was really fascinating, like looking at this game and seeing what was coming out of it. And in the end, it became one of my favorite games. And so I've backed the follow up campaigns, both of them. Um, I did not back the RPG campaign, but now I'm wishing I had because the materials for that look fantastic. And we have, you know, it's just the the attention to detail, the testing, the cuteness, the artwork, everything that goes into these games is just fantastic. So um, just, yeah, one of the best Kickstarter games ever. <laughs> you can't get wrong with Root. Nice. My number two is a favorite game of mine. Um, in fact, it's been my number one game of all time couple a couple times in fact that's defenders of the realm dragon expansion second edition so defenders of the realm utilizes the pandemic mechanism in order to tell a bigger greater fantasy story about different adventurers in that classic throwback original advanced dungeons and dragons format where you got to be this very heroic character and there's a lot of different heroic characters and you're fighting back all these different monstrous legions that are are looking to attack the kingdom and you're fighting them back so this was this was in a lot of ways still is the game for me the richard lanius game here there's been a lot of newer versions of it still for at least for for me does not you know eclipse the original version but since the original version had been out for so long and kind of like lost to history and not getting the reprint this campaign again is really what Kickstarter should be an opportunity for people to get the game. If they never got it to get the new expansion, which again, is dragons. So how could you, you know, it's more dragons, dragons, right? It was like dragons. And you were getting about 30% off the MSRP. So again, they were also giving you a significant discount. It wasn't just there to mess with you. It, it was actually a great campaign. Um, great things to get to the table. And I could finally collect 
pretty much everything. I think the only thing I haven't collected at this point is the Peyton miniatures. And I think, I don't think I got the uh, lieutenants. I think for some reason I didn't back those as well. But yeah, I mean, it was just nice to have a game that I love come back on Kickstarter, be able to back it um, to support the company, Griffin and Eagle Games, and just get everything I wanted with it. Because again, that's what Kickstarter should be. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic example of Kickstarter done right. Um, all right, so number one on my list, and it's, it's a funny number one because I've we've railed against this company repeatedly in recent years for their <laughs> terrible use of Kickstarter. Um, but to me, this is the best campaign that they've run just in terms of value and the quality and the cool stuff I got out of it. That's Blood Rage from Simon. Um, and so this was, you know, the company is generally known for miniatures and they bring this game out and you're like, oh, it's dudes on a map. You don't really realize what the meat to the game is to the point where I didn't back this either. Much like my number two, um, I missed it. But we got a chance to play it at Gen Con, like a, a just a preview, like right not too long after the campaign ended. And they had a, a late pledge option. So I was able to get in and pledge it at the normal level, which is $75 plus 30 for the five player expansion. So just a hundred bucks got you all in on Blood Rage, which is crazy to consider in these days when they charge you five or six hundred dollars for their all in pledges. And, you know, it was a really, really good deal. Right. You've got one of the best games of this type ever made, some fantastic miniatures, six different factions to choose from, all these extra things. We got the gods expansion, the wild boar clan, the shamans, um, fifth player expansion, which you know I don't play with five, but it's just cool to have the extra options. And all of it was a relatively accessible price. And I just barely squeaked under there, just barely got in. <laughs> um, if I'd waited, if I hadn't played it at Gen Con, I certainly wouldn't have gotten it. And then it became like one of the most sought after uh, Kickstarter games of all time because of all the exclusives that they had in it. Um, and so, you know, with Rising Sun release and Ankh and everything else, this one is still my favorite of Eric Lang's. It still sits up there at the top. And it's honestly, it's probably my favorite and the most played of any Simon game I have, even though I've spent probably thousands of dollars on their other stuff. So I'm really, really happy I backed this and it sits in a, well, I don't know exactly where it is on my shelf, but it's uh, it's on here somewhere. <laughs> and I'm really it'll always be there. Um, it will never leave that spot. So uh, Blood Rage, just an amazing game at the right time, making it accessible and affordable for the people who are able to back it. It is unfortunate. Sure. You just can't get that stuff now if you didn't back it. But I did. So I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the again, like backing that campaign, which I did as well. And, and I think we have to both thank Daniel for that, because I yeah. think he was he was right on spot when it came to that as well. And I, I think I backed the late pledge, but I got in and I was like, oh, this is going to be fine. And then obviously it's it's a phenomenon. But that was the first game where you 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 finally came to realize that these Kickstarter exclusives was like a real thing because the secondary yeah. market just for I think like the extra clan whatever it was at the time it might have been green or whatever it was was something like four hundred dollars it was going for yeah. I remember that number floating around and I was just like I own this this is ridiculous that this is this is what this extra things cost but having played you know blood rage you know and being and if i missed a campaign I, w I wouldn't know what to do with myself i'd be like all right well i'm clearly not going to be happy for the rest of my life now that i did not get these things so um i mean there is i mean honestly th that could be 
that whole game phenomenon with Blood Rage and the eventual reprinting or legally distinct reprinting of certain components and things like that. I mean, that was such a story. I mean, that was really what, you know, Kickstarter was, could be, should be, and shouldn't be at the same time. So, right. <laughs> you know, everything went into that. My number one game on, or number one campaign or Kickstarter win is Small World 2 The Return. Now, it's mm. called The Return because they did have an initial campaign that, I'll tell about the small stuff first, because I, I think that's fair. The small stuff is not bad stuff, and I, and I want to kind of clarify that. So the small stuff was they wanted to, and I mean Days of Wonder, wanted to develop a, a version of Small World. And if you haven't played Small World, it's a very deterministic uh, fantasy kind of early cutesy artwork, but still based on a really solid game. I think it was um, Vinci, I believe, back in the day. And it was a really great game. You you got to use your, your troops on the map to kind of take over land. And then eventually they would go into decline, which would allow you to take up another faction with another special ability. So it wasn't like, oh, you can do a thing and you did it like 300 times until like, like risk, you get bored. Here it was a constant changing up of the gameplay based upon the factions that you chose and when you retired them when which ones you chose and what order and all that stuff was really fun so a video game version of this was amazing because back in the day board games didn't get these like fully flushed out funded uh video game versions the video game version of this is insanely good like even to this day i would you know challenge anyone to find a better version of a board game on Steam. I mean, there's there's still good games out there. Wingspan's been good. Blood Rage has been kind of okay. But this was the original and still holds on, uh, you know, as being one of the best, especially with the AI in this game too. So you got to back the game. And also there was actually a physical uh, expansion, small expansion that you could pick up as well. And a lot of other little small things in here and there, not really anything to mention too much. But what really was the major thing about this campaign and what really made it, again, like we talked about, like Kickstarter is a win if somebody could not produce a game otherwise. And it was and that's amazing. Kickstarter is a win when they could bring a, you know, a revised, upgraded version that's not like bloated or trying to rip money out of people's hand, but give them what they want. And third is like, honestly like a crazy passion project that is only for people that are just like insanely dedicated and loving into this thing. So they offered a designer's edition of small world with practically like everything is like literally the top notch of the top notch, like this giant wooden beautifully designed crate with all of these like top notch components. Everything is in wood Everything is in the highest quality that goes into this game. And basically, it is Small World, but literally, again, with the highest quality you could possibly imagine, gigantic version of it. And this was back in the day when they really did do this. And it was $320, which, again, still kind of crazy. But if you think about what games cost today and the price that they were selling this for you know, then, it's, it's, it's a given, right? I think that once... A few of these copies went to the retail market. They were they were selling for like quadruple the the initial price. Uh, you know, back in the day when I was you know interested in board games, really the only thing that I knew about like really high quality games was like the Franklin Mint used to have like a Monopoly, a Clue, and I think a Scrabble. 
that was like a crazy amount of money, right? It, whatever it was at the time, I can't remember what the price was, but it was a crazy amount of money. And it was like this same kind of quality wood and metal you could actually get in a, you know, a popular generic board game. But here it was in a designer board game. It is and still remains one of my favorite board games of all time. I love this game. I love everything that comes along with it. This is certainly something I will pass down to the family. This is something I will keep forever. If there was a game that I needed to escape the house, God forbid, in a fire, this would be the game. Uh, Small World Designer Edition, and obviously everything else that came along with this campaign is great. I played Small World online a couple of days ago, so it, it's still still very relevant, still very fresh, and is my number one win of all my top ten wins on Kickstarter. It's a good one. It's a big crate you got. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the only downside was it did not come with handles. Yeah. So it is a large, giant, square wood, you know, nice and shiny and slick. So getting that to someone's house, and I did do that for Daniel, it was a little bit of a thing. So I don't know if this will ever leave my house. It's kind of similar to the Suburbia version, where it's just giant square. I think this is obviously bigger and heavier. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is a this is a thing, to say the least. All right, everyone. So there you go. Our top 10 wins on Kickstarter. Hopefully all of you out there have had some similar or even greater wins out there when you've backed games on Kickstarter. Hopefully you've been able to support some great designers and publishers to get games out there, you know, into the hands and tables of all the great people out there who may not have ever gotten it anyway. Or maybe you were able to pick up some super valuable edition that no longer is in print or is just impossible to pick up because of price. Kickstarter does a great job when it does Kickstarter things like producing amazing games <laughs> and bringing together a community of board gamers who absolutely positively have to have everything all the time for no particular reason other than it's really super cool. All right, everyone. So until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table with our top 10 Kickstarter wins. See ya. See ya.